Hello, everyone, and welcome to And Now for Something Completely Machinima, the podcast about machinima, real-time filmmaking, and related technologies. I'm one of your hosts, Phil Rice, and with me is Tracy Harwood. Hello. Ricky Grove. <laughs> and Damien... <laughs> Damien Valentine. I don't think I can talk what Ricky just did, but hi, everyone. <laughs> so we are here to talk about films which is i think our favorite favorite point of the month yes so uh i'm going to kick things off with uh one that we kind of made some passing references to in our news episode earlier this month and that is uh this is a video showing uh, video game maps size comparison and there was something in the discussion of one of the episodes from last month that got me thinking about this uh, and I just went hunting YouTube for something to show what the, you know, we were talking about Red Dead Redemption 2 and, you know, these games and just these bigger and bigger worlds and how remarkable they are. And so I was, I just figured everything's on YouTube now. So somebody must have put together something to compare them side by side. And I found one where, you know, nice visual uh, representation of uh, these different game worlds. And it's, it's astounding. Um, now the one in there that, uh, I figured was going to be in there, but it's kind of a cheat. And that is, uh, Minecraft is in there. Minecraft, right. if you don't know, is a procedurally generated world that, that technically has no limit. I mean, you keep walking in one direction, it's going to keep creating world. Um, so to, to rank that one in yeah. size is a little iffy. Um, but uh, there's some other entries in there that are, are just fascinating. And, and Red, Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2, while impressive, is far from the largest world uh, out there. And this was a 2021 video, so there it doesn't include Elden Ring, I don't believe. And Elden Ring is quite sizable itself. So Very big. Um, there's, there's, I just found it fascinating because uh, it, it starts fairly small works its way up in order of size and uh, uh, pretty impressive. What did, what did you guys think? Were there any that jumped out to you in particular? Loved it. I just thought it was really well done. What did they make it in? It looked like something like a 3D Studio Max uh, kind of Yeah, probably something along those lines. But he has a standard render that that it's really nicely done. The, he'll, he'll, the, it will move from one map and then the map will unfold and show you the size of the map and then it'll say what it is. And it was fascinating to look at the progression from two meters or two kilometers all the way up to the sort of surprise ending. Yeah. Because about halfway through, you start going, well, is is this really going to go anywhere? Oh boy, it sure does. (laughs) When you finally get to the the last two, you're just like, it reminds me um, of a, a short film called Powers of Seven. Did you ever see that? I think so. They start in close on a person on a beach with a towel, and then they they uh, pull back and pull back and pull back and pull back all the way into the solar system. Uh, I have it seen reminded, that. And, it reminded yeah. me of that in some ways. But anyway, the the effect is is great because you learn stuff, but also you 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 sort of catch some of the maps and you go, "Oh, I played that map. That's really interesting. I didn't have, have any idea." And then. I'm playing a lot of Elden Ring now, so I was thinking, well, where does that fit into the size of it? And even though it's not machinima, I thought it was 
very entertaining and very informative. And that's not an easy thing to do is to make an informative video uh, entertaining at the same time. It was great. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I understood it. No, I, I really enjoyed it as well. I mean, some of those, those game maps, they're, they're truly astonishing scale, aren't they? I know. For, I mean, I couldn't get my head around that. That that reminded me vaguely, you know, when you were just talking about um, Power of Seven, I was thinking Carl Sagan, little boo dot kind of thing, you know, sort of zooming out from Earth. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible sort of um, size of it. But then it kind of got me thinking a little bit about procedurally generated worlds and where this, where these kind of technologies have evolved. And I thought what was what was interesting with the way that that presentation unfolded was really what it's um, what it's a commentary on. It's not just the scale, but also the advancement of the technologies behind it over the last few years. Um, because that's really what you're looking at, you know, the, the, the sort of the jumps in the years that these games were released. Right. Uh, and the contemporary ones being, you know, kind of massive scale because the technology, the procedurally generating technologies, AI and whatnot, allows them to con continue um, on ad infinitum. Um, and I guess really what you're looking at isn't really now massive processing power, but um, but the advancement in the way that AI generates the content in itself. So that's really where the, the you know the next level of this sort of stuff will come from. It's it's the it's the variations of it that will, will, will that will be advanced, not necessarily the scale of it. Because I was thinking from a game point of view, how much of a size map do you actually need? To play a game right how much are you actually going to interact with and socialize in and or how much of it are you actually going to use the filmmaking you'd be surprised you know one of the things about playing elden ring now and i'm what 140 hours into it it's 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 the first game in uh, over a decade that's actually made it hard for me to get my other work done because <laughs> I keep thinking in terms of Elden Ring. Well, if I did this for 10 minutes, then I can go back and play Elden Ring for an hour, you know, and I've, I, I'm interacting with the Elden Ring community, especially of um, YouTube gamers to get guides because the, the, the game is very difficult. And one of the things that they talk about is that the, 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 Game construction from software, who's been making a series of games like this, has really succeeded in making it a game of exploration. If you want to follow the main track, you could probably do it and get it done in 40 hours, 50 hours, you know. Although I have to say there's some speed runs in which people have done it in 20 minutes. It's like mind boggles. Mm -hmm. But what they really encourage and, and they reward is exploration. So as you're riding around on this horse, you have this really cool horse, you find something that looks interesting and you go explore it. And then they give you benefits for exploring that world in terms of new weapons, new powers, new spells, new uh, uh, money to be able to buy other things, plants to be able to combine and stuff. So I, I think the pleasure of the open world is pure exploration in many ways i think of it as a kind of reading experience where you where the author takes you away 
like a fantasy novel where he takes you all around different. I mean, if they cut it down, that 600 page novel would be 100 pages. if They just did the basic plot. But you, you really go all sorts of different places and different worlds to experience the environments, to see the different characters. One thing I'm going to do after I finish the run of this, which I can't believe I'm actually going to, I have a feeling I'm going to actually finish a, a Dark Souls game. I've never been able to in the past, is that I'm going to do the second run through as a virtual photographer because the photography uh, uh, mod allows you to turn off your threat to other characters. So you can go through the world without any of the monsters attacking you or anything and just take photographs. Oh, and nice. that's what I'm going to do and, and, and film sections, you know? So once I know where everything is, I'm going to be able to go and say, Oh, well, I want to do a series of photographs on graveyards, you know, where I'm going to take these moody pictures because you can adjust the daytime light and everything. And then take these pictures of graveyards. I think that's another factor in, um, exploration of, uh, of of open world games is the ability to make make art pieces of them and not just machinima but virtual photography is interesting as well mm. so that's my comment on that i watched the video and there are quite a few games on there that i didn't realize had such big game worlds in them so that was quite a surprise uh, to discover that and um it's interesting to watch how it all progressed and then of course as you get towards the end and especially the last two game reveals i know <laughs> I've, I've spent a lot of time playing one of those last two games and would it be a spoiler to say what it is um yeah, yeah. i think it would be a spoiler oh you think so okay i think okay. so i wouldn't i wouldn't it's the, all right it's the second largest game world i'll say that so that when you watch it you see it and i just looked up to see how much of that game world has been explored because it's an online game so this is explored by every player. It's all been combined into one. So far, 0.05% of the game oh. has been explored. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and it's been released seven years ago. So it's taken that long <laughs> to get that far. Wow. So I don't think the game will still be around uh, long enough for the whole game world to be, you know, for everyone to visit everything. Yeah. Um, and I've spent a lot of time exploring in that, in that game. And I went at just a short distance in the scale of the game but it still took me a week of game time to actually make that journey wow so uh you're never gonna conquer that are you no. yeah. <laughs> you don't have enough hours left yeah 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 one of the things that got me thinking about was uh you know a lot of the games represented in this video um are basically hand tooled open worlds if i can use that expression so thinking about red dead redemption 2 for example you know all these locations you can go to and characters you can interact with but that was all it was created and put there for you to explore around in there's mm -hmm. nothing procedurally generated about that world per se mm -hmm. um, all the terrain is defined all the characters um, there's some random elements for sure but it's within some confines and you see how much how many actors how many lines of voiceover that they had to pre-record for that and all of that. And it's like, you know, that's, that's only scalable to a certain degree because these things cost a lot, you know, to hire good quality actors to recite these lines and, and all the, the models and things that hand created. 
So where it's really interesting is, is this AI stuff that we've been talking about, that entering into it, you know, Minecraft we mentioned is procedurally generated world. There's at least one other game in there in the, in the upper tier of the size ones that's also got some procedurally generated things too. But you can't procedurally generate those hand-tooled, handcrafted experience when John Marsden runs into this particular character that's in trouble and needs help with this or whatever. Not convincingly, you can't just procedurally generate that yet. And I think if if we're talking about a procedurally generated story, that to me is where the next frontier is. Where and probably where, what was the the game company uh, Tracy we talked about a few episodes ago? The Quantic Dream is that? Yes, Quantic, exactly. Quantic Dream, indeed. And basically, the 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 impression that they've given with this new Star Wars universe game that they're working on is essentially a open-ended story type of thing that's to me that's the most interesting part of it is is you know i mean ricky you're a we've, we've been discussing our our love of books and novels and stuff like that it's really hard for me to imagine an ai being capable of generating something anywhere near as engaging as the kind of characterizations that can happen in written written literature by a person you know um and frankly there's there's tools that are out there now that are being promoted and marketed where uh, this article was written by a, by an AI. Did you know that, you know, and it's marketing text, whatever you can, you can still tell. I think it's going to be a real challenge. You can still tell. Okay. So it passes Grammarly, but you can still tell. You get those joke ones as well. There's no soul there. There's no, you know, it just, so, but it's impressive what they can do. So yeah, I don't know. That's that's going to be an interesting challenge because it's it's it could just be the limitations of my mind, but it's really hard for me to imagine uh, injecting that. Well, it's creativity, isn't it? The creativity, yeah, yeah, um, from an AI. Um, we're seeing AIs used in art, Tracy. You know, and and it has the look of creativity. Uh, but I I feel like story and character is a very different palette to work with than color and shape or sound or music like the, uh, uh, some of the AI generated music that we've seen and heard out there. Um, the story, there's such complexity to, to character development, to story. Um, I, I, I probably sound really dumb to, to doubt the capabilities of that given what's happened in the past few years, but I, I I'm reserving, uh, Reserving judgment on it. I think, I think when you've got assets that are, are procedurally generated, one of the biggest challenges is going to be doing what Ricky just says he's going to do, which is go, go back through the game, having already played the game, when it's learned about how you play that game, and then try to find the places that you were in before, because it won't take you there. It, <laughs> it, it will take you somewhere else, depending on how advanced you have got in your run through of the game. Well, oh, yeah. it, 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 the uh, landscape might be the same, but the way the trees and the rocks the encounters. might be different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be your, your biggest challenge with machinima creators then trying to recreate what they have found in that environment. Well, well, you know what the AI... Go ahead. Go ahead, Ricky. You know what the AI programmer would say to that? You just need to have a bigger database. <laughs> <laughs> right 
Yeah. You're not finding give, a, give me an infinite database and I'll, I'll have the AI create anything. So you want to have uh, a human element, then pro put mistakes in it. Put writing that has mistakes in it, writing that has bad writing in the middle of it hmm. with genius well, writing. And then they'll, they'll, <clears throat> they'll put that together. It's all about the database. Now, I agree with you. I'm still dubious about it, but that's what a, a, an AI uh, programmer would say. Give me a bigger database. Hmm. Well, and, and bring, coming back to Minecraft again, they've come up with an interesting way um, to address that, Tracy, and that is the, the algorithm that generates these literally infinite number of worlds for Minecraft has a seed. A seed is, you know, it's a string yeah. of, of text. And you put that seed in and regenerate the world in the same version of the game, it will be identical. Mm -hmm. The entire world, the entire, you know, however, however big they are, just gigantic, it'll be exactly the same. That's amazing. So maybe maybe something like that, even for, let's say it's an Elden Ring-like game where it's much more story-based and that kind of thing, that when Ricky starts a single-player experience there, it generates a seed. So if he wants to go back and play it and have the same set of encounters, he could put that seed in when he starts a new single-player game. If he right. doesn't, it's going to generate a new random seed and maybe certain elements of the plot are fixed, but everything else is random. Same thing with the terrain. So yeah, I think there's some possibilities there, but mm. getting it to to craft that story and character stuff, um, that seems to me like it would be particularly hard. Mm. But then again, what they've done so far is is really really hard for someone like me. So, but you know, uh, AI has had such a dramatic impact in all sorts of different fields unrelated to entertainment mm -hmm. and so much money and profit has been made from them that as soon as you get all that money you put it back into development and you get hundreds if not hundreds of thousands of people researching and pushing it like at nvidia then and and in areas we don't even know about say american military secret service things that that isn't aren't being published yeah you're gonna have breakthroughs like there's no tomorrow, you know? Yeah, that's because true. Of all the profit and all of the effort being put in to, to making it a success and, and getting yeah, I think new, you're right. new techniques. Now, Tracy, your film to me is a uh, interesting kind of counterpoint here because the, the thing that struck me the most about it was the wonderful characterizations that are Absolutely. there. Um, so yeah, why don't you tell us about your pick? Absolutely, yeah. Now, this is called Blue uh, by Teflon Sega Meta Saga, Episode 4. Uh, it's actually shot in Unreal Engine 4. Um, by ah, guy, I wonder. By, yeah. yeah um, well, 4 point, 2 point, 7 point, whatever. Or yeah, 7, yeah, yeah. 7 point, 2 point, whatever. I don't, I'm not too sure. But Engine 4, anyway. Um, by Xanadu, um, otherwise known as um, Corey Strasberger. Uh, and it was released on the 9th of March this year. Now, you may recall, we first saw Xanadu's work a year ago with Baby Outlaw spoof music video, which we also showcased in our live stream okay. event uh, in November as one of the highlights of last yeah. year. Now, this is obviously the fourth episode in this blue character series. And actually, I also recommend the earlier episodes too, because it's a, you know, it's episodic uh, and it is is closely linked so you can't really 
pick up too much about what's going on in this episode four unless you've seen the other episodes. But I have to say, this is 20 minutes long and the others are a couple of minutes and then ah. four or five minutes and seven or eight or nine minutes. Um, so it's kind of building up a little bit. Um, he's clearly getting very excited about his series. Um, in um, in this uh, blue character series, though, um, I think what you've got here is a lot of uh, contemporary uh, culture in-jokes uh, to do with Unreal Engine, to do with metahumans, um, and <clears throat> things like, for example, you know, the metaverse, Musk and his missions to Mars, Alexa, Ikea. Uh, I have to say, this, this guy for me, this um, Xanadu, he's got one of the most incredibly creative and vivid imaginations I've seen um, for quite some time for me. Um, and it's probably one of the most original series I, I've seen in Machinima in recent years. Um, but, but also what I like about it, and it's not necessarily in this episode, but in episode three, for example, he uh, made reference to some other really interesting works that we've seen in the last few months as well. Do you remember the one, um, I think, Ricky, this is your pick actually, called Salad Mug? Um, Dynamo Dream by Ian Hubert. Right. Um, he's also making reference to that as well. Hmm. Anyway, by episode four, Blue, uh, this character has inculcated a 2D anime singer, Teflon Saga, into this story world. Now, this particular character emerged in 2018 as a mass, a simply astonishing viewing figures on Instagram and YouTube. Um, but to date hasn't actually revealed an identity. Um, now, in 2019, Teflon Sega, the other character, the pink character in this, um, was one of the most listened to artists on SoundCloud. Um, so actually signing this character up to Blue or Xanadu's Metaverse Saga is a bit of a coup, I'd say. And the saga itself is, is really all about Blue on this epic journey to create his vision of a metaverse. And the plot is basically his record of attempts to do this through a blog from outer space. And in this particular episode, he and his sidekick attempt to meet with Tef um, Teflon Sega, um, who he's describing as Blue's first metaverse friend. Uh, and in this particular um, episode, what you see is him getting sidetracked by something that vaguely resembles what I can really only describe as a Jabba the Hutt type character. Mm -hmm. uh, and this kind of epic battle with, interestingly, I think, lots of physics being transcended. Uh, and the story leaves us with a bit of a cliffhanger for the next episode. Um, I thought it was really quite well done. Um, it didn't really uh, leave me wanting to criticise it too much because I just really enjoyed it. And I... I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. I also really enjoyed it. And it's the kind of thing I really enjoy. And I really like the humour in it as well, especially like the Jabba Hutt, the Hutt sort of bounty hunter character. And he was bounty hunting not to get money, but to get followers because he was live streaming what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was so unique in, yeah. in the sort of science fiction and sort of, and sort of the bounty hunter character type. But um you know that, that entertained me but um the way it's made as well with unreal and it, it doesn't look like you look we've talked about other 
videos you've seen like made in star citizen and elite dangerous and all these other sci-fi games and it doesn't look like that it looks like a real properly animated um feature even though it's a similar kind of space adventure to what we've seen previously it it, it really stands out and uh, i need to go back and watch the previous episodes and i want to see what's going to happen next it's going to be a series that i think i'm going to keep following as uh, he releases more episodes me too me too definitely uh i was i was hooked instantly um it, it is it has it has kind of a freshness that the, the feeling that it gave me was similar to the first time that i saw the first guardians of the galaxy movie mm. in terms of this this is just way out there's no characters that seem to have anything really to do with earth as far as i can tell it's just out there all these different creatures of, of races and different different looks and everything it's just it's just wonderful and then yeah there's a zaniness to it uh, with the humor um, um, I didn't really I didn't catch any fourth wall moments but but self-awareness like you mentioned Tracy some of those references um, are are very I don't know what the term is for that when when you're making references to the you know so those things that shouldn't technically be in that universe, they're not anachronisms. It's something along that line. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I I just enjoyed it a lot, and I do. I want to go back and watch the other uh, the other episodes, and and uh, uh, it just was was well made. I mean, it certainly isn't. Uh, I don't think intended to be something deep or serious. It's just a lot of fun and uh, beautifully made, and very unpredictable for me. Like I. I I had no idea what was going to come next. Um, and I like that. Um, TV doesn't do that to me very often. Mm. I don't think it does it to anybody anymore very often. So any taste of that is, is a plus. Mm. Ricky, what'd you think? I'm going to be a downer to this happy praise party. Wah, you guys wah, wah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, objectively. I understand why you all liked it it's beautifully made technically it's really great especially textures and animation it looks like a professional video however it's just not my personal style that hipster vibe is a turnoff that self-conscious tricksy kind of dialogue and self-aware and and so all those things that you guys liked, I just hated. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't believe the story for a second. And although Tracy, you talk about it being original, it's really not. It's just a rework of the Guardians and the Galaxy scenario, with the little character constantly complaining and the older guy going, ah, yeah, yeah, chatterbox, you know, all that stuff. It's just it was unoriginal for me. It was obviously a, a, a kind of parody of all of that stuff, including the music, which was just awful. It was so overdone and over, it, it was so orchestrated. It's the kind of, it's, it's a kind of pandering to cheap knockoff Guardians of the Galaxy that just, just annoyed the hell out of me all the way through. One of the things I, it, it's also um, interesting is that it has, connections to current hard sci-fi tropes in uh, writing. There's a lot of very funny, throw-together, unusual characters, 
and have them go on these wacky adventures in liter in literature. And and those I avoid like the plague because they're just so they're just silly to me. I don't I don't buy them. I can't make that and it's and it's probably personal, but I can't make that suspension of disbelief to get into the story. And I start, and because I can't do that, I blame the filmmaker for it. And then I start looking at problems and that slangy dialogue, the stupid uh, vocal character, the lack of energy in vocal characterizations, the, the cliche stereotype characters, the villain, the Jabba the Hutt reference, which you find uh, appealing, I find appalling, <laughs> you know, because it's a cliche, it's a stereotype. If you want to create, do something new, then create an, a new variation on that. Don't just recreate the thing itself. But uh, that said, um, I understand completely why it's so popular, why you guys like it. And I think it's the thing that will appeal to a wide variety of people, just not me. <laughs> one, one other thing. <laughs> if you guys focus on putting the flames out on that, I yeah. will... Uh... <laughs> One other funny thing that I I, uh, I found strange was, so one of the plot points is he's got this, you know, there's all this talk about this energy drink that uh, he's, you know, been working on. And right in the middle of the video, an ad comes onto YouTube for a company called Psychopharma. Real, <laughs> a real company, Psychopharma for this energy drink that's gonna blow your mind and like i mean talking about it in all this zaniness, it was so weird like i had to look down and make sure is this really an ad or is this part of the thing oh that's funny and then, and then if it is just an ad who's the clever one behind that because yeah. was it the film i from what i understand filmmakers really don't get to choose what ads show up they can choose whether or not ads show up and maybe have some indication of where in the film it breaks for it but i don't think they get to pick their advertisers yeah not at all. Um, There's so no on that at all. but then do advertisers get to pick their videos very specifically like that i wasn't aware that that's the case either i always oh, thought ironic. it was more of you choose a a category perhaps or you know you put in certain search terms and then they'll match your ad up to videos right. based on that whatever right. it was bizarre coincidence because there's the character talking about this energy drink it's gonna blow yeah. your mind yeah and then some guy comes on psycho pharma you know, this thing is going to blow your mind and make you. It, it was the zaniest ad I've ever seen. And I, I thought it was part of the, the film at first, but it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I did find that the, um, you know, the, the, the way that these uh, longer videos are monetized so annoying. Ads, yeah. everything I hate about yeah. TV ads. Yeah. But yeah. I guess, you know, when you're, when you're making stuff like this, I, I suppose you have to fund it in some way. Right. And, and clearly, you know, one of the things that um, Corey Strasberger is doing is also making tutorial videos um, because there's, a, you know, another thing I came across was a quite an interesting little video of him in GameSpot um, or GameSpot Trader, I think it was, uh, explaining what his workflow is and what his ambition is for the for the series, um, which I think is really quite quite interesting as well, but. I guess we're never going to agree on everything. So, well, congratulations for deflecting my flamethrower criticism. You guys have done a really good job. But as a reminder, I hated the fucking thing. 
this is probably an awkward time to bring this up, but uh, it's, it's time for a quick word from our sponsor for this episode. <laughs> Blue at Teflon Sega Mega Saga. Uh, I'm so sorry. Rhetorically, it was rhetorical. It wasn't real. It was rhetorical. All right, Damien, uh, you've got a uh, uh, fan fan fiction or fan made Damien. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked a lot about Star Trek Online last month with the whole the ships from the game have been taken into the the Star Trek Picard TV series. So I started thinking what machinima has been made with Star Trek Online because it's it's been around for a long time and I know there's lots of creative fans out there. So I had a look and I didn't actually find a lot but I came across this video and a little bit of backstory to it was uh, the TV series Star Trek uh, Discovery was released um, about five years ago now. And season one ended with a cliffhanger with the Enterprise showing up. And so season two was about um, the Enterprise. It's Captain Pike, who was the captain of the Enterprise in the very first pilot episode of the original series. Right, right. And um, obviously they changed it, Captain Kirk and so on. I'm not going to explain that now. You can look that up. But he was the captain. He's still the captain of the Enterprise when he shows up in Discovery, and he temporarily becomes the captain of Discovery. And he was very popular with the fans. Like he stole the show. A lot of people said. So when it, when the season ended, he went back to the Enterprise, and there was a huge fan outcry saying, "We want more Captain Pike. We want to see him as the captain of the Enterprise, and uh, we want a series about that." And this video I found was this guy had created what he thought the opening credit sequence would be of a Captain Pike TV show. Um, and so he used the version of the Enterprise that showed up in Discovery they'd put into the game and it shows them flying it around um, like they do in the original series, opening credits and the next generation and so on. And then uh, he's put the names of the cast members in and he's got some music in. And one of the reasons I chose this is because that fan campaign was actually successful. Um, starting this month is the series Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is about Captain Pike as the captain hmm. of the Enterprise. And it was made entirely because of the fan outcry after seeing him in the show. And I don't know specifically um, if this particular video was seen by the studio, but it was a part of this you know, fan campaign. And I thought it's very interesting to see what the fans can do to make something like this happen. And this was a part of it. And I'm actually looking forward to comparing this video with the actual opening credits sequence huh. we're going to see in the, in the, yeah, the live yeah, show. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. by the time this, by the time our, our listeners and viewers um, listening to this, the show will already be out. It starts on the 5th of yeah. May. So you'll be able to go and check it out for yourself. So uh, what do you guys think? Well, you'll have to report back to us and let us know what the comparison is. Uh, I'll do that for next month's video. Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was very enjoyable. It was interesting. Um, music was a little bit generic, and I think he could have had a few more various shots than than the ship just flying by in various <laughs> angles. I think that becomes a little bit generic. But I think the overall feel of it, the look of it, it was pleasant. It was enjoyable. I, I thought it made me want to find out more of it, about it. It was good. 
Well, you know what? I think I feel we- like it's just a big it's just a big ripoff of Guardians of the Galaxy all over again. No, Star Trek. It's not Guardians of That's the right. Galaxy. No, I honestly, I, I'm glad that you told us the the story um, behind the film because I I'm not plugged into Star Trek culture at all. Really, I, I love the films and and the the original TV show, but I mean, I I certainly am not master of that universe at all um, in terms of the the, the various. You know, there's so much Star Trek content, um, yeah. official and unofficial, that uh, that I don't have have much access to. So I found your the story behind the film much more interesting than the film, honestly. Because <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of repetition and a lot of just just kind of basic basic shots. And actually, when I was watching, I was thinking, oh, man, I, I hope there's a good story behind this because because <laughs> it just didn't really do anything for me. And now I feel like I I, I in retrospect appreciate it. Uh, much, much more uh, understanding its its context. It's a, it's a cool story. I, I had just the same response. Um, when I first watched it, I, I was thinking, well, you really have to know a lot about Star Trek movies to make anything of it at all. Uh, and I didn't. Um, because what it is, for me, it's a film about the credits of a movie <laughs> rather than the movie itself. Mm-hmm which I actually thought was kind of intriguing. So I then did a little bit of background on it. And basically what it's doing is just floating um, ideas about how the film could be developed using game footage as a bit of a concept board. So maybe that's a different type of machinima than we've seen before as well. Yeah, yeah. I Um, think they could have been more successful if they would have cut in when they introduced the names of characters, if they would have cut in shots of those characters in action or something. Excuse me for interrupting you. Yeah, no, 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 but do, do they exist? Or did they, because bearing in mind, one of the things I looked up was the timing for this. So this was released on the 1st of July, 2019. And as far as I could tell, mm-hmm. it, and Damien, you'll, you'll know, I'm sure you'll know this. It was something like eight months later when it was announced that uh, Pike was going to be made, and then another several months after that before actors were signed, and then months after that before filming started. Mm. And the question I've kind of got is, because there's, you know, there's hundreds of comments on here about it, is do you think this was really made by the people that were um, positing the idea of, should we make a Star Trek Pike? as a way uh-huh. of thinking about, hmm. you know, whether or not they should make it. Do you see this as a tool for wetting the appetite and testing the grounds for new strands of stories? You know, you before see- Damien yeah. answers that, I'd just like to say, if they didn't do that, that's what? a brilliant idea. Well, exactly, for, exactly. For someone else to do. Yeah. You want to talk about a, a, an amazing use for machinima is if, yeah, if you're at some... Uh, you know, movie product or movie or TV production house, and you're wanting to know to to kind of litmus test the fan base on something. What better way? My goodness, with what you can do with Machinima to, to just float it out there because yeah. there's all kinds of fan made content like this out there. Before the Obi Wan series existed on Disney Plus, there was all kinds of people making trailers for what it could look like, and it's it was goofy because like some of them had like clips from you and McGregor in Train Spotting, which made no sense whatsoever, <laughs> but it's Ewan McGregor. It's Obi-Wan, right? You know, so 
yeah, that, that would be very interesting if that ended up being the case, uh, that it was an official source kind of like the king, you know, donning the, yeah. the, the, the cape and going down on, amongst the people to see what they really think type of thing. Sort of market I'd... testing previs types. Yeah, yeah. Weird yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting idea, yeah. In this particular case, I don't think that's what happened because if you go to his channel, he's got so many videos about Star Trek Online. Although they might have said, well, he's a popular creator for Star what, Trek Online. Yeah, what if? Yeah, what if? Um, yeah. and ask him to unlikely. do it. Yeah, unlikely, but it's still possible that uh, that's something that could happen. But he has a lot of other videos where every time they release a new ship for the game, he will do a video, which is more or less like this credit video where you see it flying around. Uh, mm -hmm. It doesn't have the credits and they can be a little bit too long in, in my view, but um, I thought this one worked really well because it was actually doing something more than just showing off a ship model. Um, yeah. But yeah, he could have, that would be a good way to do it. Paramount could say, well, what a great way to do a concept because the game ass assets are there, so we don't have to generate mm -hmm. anything. They right. look pretty good. Um, right. And just hire a popular creator to do this test video. And yeah, someone happens. who's already got eyes on their stuff. Yeah. yeah. So if you're a big Hollywood producer, Machinima can help you promote your series. Yes. Pre-promotes. <laughs> yes. Well, if you've noticed, all of our film picks so far this month have been Guardians of the Galaxy ripoffs, and Ricky, <laughs> yours is no exception. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell us all about it? This one does the most successful job of ripping off the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, my film choice is boy 180 degrees away from uh the original film it's one reason why i like these film sessions with you guys is because the Me range too. of choices are just so fascinating because they reflect our personalities and 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 we it gives us so much to talk about my choice yes. is a it's a film called it's just a virtual kiss by juan and the last name is hard to i'm not sure i'll get the pronunciation but it's p-o-j-u-a-n I'm going to say pull one. Uh, I found this on Vimeo. One uh, has half a dozen experimental films shot in different games. This one's shot in World of Warcraft. And it's a film that is very much part of the documentary tradition. It, it, there's a specific kind of documentary film called the personal essay film, where a person will explore a theme or an idea that has particular personal uh, uh, resonance to them. And they'll use the documentary to find out uh, what comes to mind is a film called Sherman's March, where it was done back in the 80s, where a, a, a documentary filmmaker who was a bit of a Lothario went back and traced Sherman's March, Atlanta March to the Sea, but in each of the different cities, he visited a girlfriend, a former girlfriend, and they would have these encounters, which would either be very positive or very bad. And his exploration for was using Sherman as a metaphor to find out about himself and his relationship to women. So it was, it's a personal essay film, and it's something that is kind of missing in mainstream film or Netflix or or even in Machinima, I, I think you find it in Second Life quite a bit where people will explore that kind of thing. But in general, it's not there. And what he's, Juan is trying to explore is a virtual kiss that he got from a, a female avatar in World of Warcraft who gave him a peck on the cheek 
and he was trying to find that because it was a whole mixture of things and doing it he couldn't he couldn't discover his feelings standard realistic narrative where is the characters he sets up counter shots realistic counter shots he had to use a kind of experimental approach in which he puts the camera through the heads of the characters so that you see the sort of eerie inside of the characters and that becomes a kind of metaphor for the internal nature of his feelings it's a strange film it's not for everybody um what did you guys think of it i um thought it was very interesting the way he it's kind of there's this whole theme of loneliness and isolation mm. which mm. i think goes very well with um tracy's news uh piece from last week's episode about virtual worlds using being used for social occasions yeah and obviously world of warcraft would be part of that because it's an online virtual uh, environment and so he's he's had this kiss from this other player and he's trying to figure out um how he feels about that and it ends with this i'm not going to say it what ends but it's just it, this bleak thought he has and it just stops there's no answer yes no yes. sort of uplifting or maybe it could get better or whatever it just stops and that's it and that kind of maybe jump back a bit mm-hmm. as it happens because uh, i didn't expect that and it's not it's bad that it maybe jump back it's just that's not a it's not an easy thing to answer and that's mm-hmm. why he hasn't included that as an answer because he doesn't have the answer um and i think that's a very interesting way to explore his thoughts and feelings about this subject which is obviously um something a lot of people have to have been dealing with over the last two years i think you know from my point of view i i looked i looked um this person up and what i discovered is that uh, he's a student at the national taipei university of arts in the composite media group working in mixed media including world of warcraft uh which i think is a really really interesting thing um to sort of see that it, that a, a game world is actually included as part of the the mixed media that he's working with now puyan is how i pronounce that um he's using the game to create a scene about a memory as, as you kind of just said and it's it's seemingly a real memory of a virtual kiss and the narration i think is really beautiful but i i kind of got the distinct impression of it not as narration but as a poem hmm. and and the visuals to me seem to seem to be his attempt to portray the connection between the mind or the spirit of the character and what was happening to the character from a sort of third person perspective and really what was important in it for me then was was the perspectives which became the central um thing that he was actually trying to portray this connection between these these perspectives this sort mm-hmm. of connection between the inner body and the outer body in order to demonstrate what virtual presence might be so when i was looking at uh, at you know apps who he was poyan describes his work as attempting to create ways of viewing and presenting new perspectives 
and ways of thinking to reflect on and to question um, what he describes as the meta setup behind the post-internet era. And I had to think really quite hard about what that actually meant. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, really, that's the, the point of it, the fact that you have to, 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 to think about it. And in, in the end, I think, I think I felt that the images are really what he's, what he's trying to do is to present digital masks and that the main emphasis isn't on the memory at all, um, but the words that that memory evoked. So, so he, was, he was really doing this as kind of an artistic statement. And that's why to me, it was very experimental but actually really very effective and thought-provoking because it's really quite hard to evaluate it or understand what it's doing without actually looking more about who who he is as an artist himself. Mm, mm. Um, And that was frustrating if you're just looking at the video because it's not anywhere near the description of the video at all, but it's on his personal website. Fascinating. Uh, and I thought really overall it was quite a spiritual piece um, and kind of reflecting on it, I think he actually achieved what he set, set out to do as an artist in terms of his statement of what it was he was about. So I thought it was a really intriguing selection and, and thank you, Ricky, for um, sharing it with us. It was, it was one of the more interesting pieces I've seen for really thank quite you. some time. Well, thank you for your trenchant comments on it. It's very fascinating. I hadn't thought of it in that way. Phil, what, what was your take? Yeah, I felt, uh, I, I find that this film is, it's hard to, I have trouble articulating uh, what was said to me from the film, but I feel like I was spoken to. Uh, I think that spiritual is, is a good term for it, uh, Tracy, that, that, it was clear to me what was said, which is why I'm not sure how experimental it was because most experimental films leave a guy like me going, what the hell was going on here? What? But I, I got it. Like the message wasn't ambiguous to me. And yet I don't know if I can grasp it and articulate and pin down what was being said. It was much on a much more intuitive level. Um, and, and you guys have hit on all the points of it, of, of the, you know, basically just trying to make sense of this, this experience, this feeling. And, and, um, you know, I think that sometimes when, uh, an unexpected thing like that happens, even outside of a metaverse context, you're left thinking what just happened here, you know? And so on top of that, which would have happened if it had just been someone he was sitting next to at a bar and all of a sudden there was a kiss mm. and then and then they part and, you know, you, you can't stop thinking about it. What does this mean? And what what just happened there, really? You know, and, and right, right. who is she? Who am I? What What is this um, now on top of that? Multiply all these layers of what that happening in a virtual space feels like. So to avatars controlled by two real world people that maybe have never occupied the same meat space at all. <laughs> right. And right. it just makes your head want to explode. You yeah. Know? So yeah. What do you make of what is affection? The meanings within me. Metaverse. As, what as is Tracy it? Tracy was pointing out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's, 
So I, I, I greatly appreciate the film because I, I, because it gave me that, whatever it is, it's, it's something that I feel like could be talked about for a very long time without ever mm-hmm. really specifically pinning things down. Right. And that right. to me is good art. You know, that's, that's, well, that's, the, great. that's the key. And I think you brought up exactly, and we don't have a lot of time to discuss and I don't want to belabor the issue, but ambiguity is what you're talking about. Yeah. The possibility of multiple choices of meanings and things. Now that's been accepted in art, the painting arts and in music for forever, really essentially since the turn of the century when modernism came in, but not so much in popular medias like film and television, which machinima tends to reflect. Um, So the question is why is experimental film worth exploring? Is it something that machinima can do? I personally think it is. It's worth doing it if just for variety, if just for doing something different, you know, in America culture in particular, Europe has a, a much more f- relaxed attitude towards the experiment and the sexual. But we like things to be generic. We like things to be predictable. We like that realistic. We know in law and order that they're going to do the, the, the lawyers in the second part. You know, They don't like experiment because they don't like ambiguity because the person watching it just wants to be entertained. And I think I accept that. I, in fact, I, I, there are a lot of entertaining shows that I like to watch. But personally, I, I oftentimes find that experimental films touches on things that, that mainstream machinima and mainstream film can't even get close to. Things that are juxtaposed that, that, that you just can't quite get to any other way by experimenting with form and sound and that. And well, What are your guys' thoughts on basically the experimental in, in film and machinima? Do you want me to start? Please. Okay, well, I kind of went into this in a little bit of detail, as, as you can expect. And I, I kind of guess a technical definition might be that it, it's it's about being, um, it's about content that's independent or avant-garde or creative work that kind of encompasses abstract or video art or documentary, poetry, music, whatever, performance and so on. Um, And it's a format that challenges convention in some way that presents alternatives to traditional approaches and methods of working. And in a sense, therefore, I kind of came to the conclusion that surely all machinima is experimental because it's about methods of working. Probably one of the greatest challenges, I think, has always been to position machinima within other genres of creative practice. However, I think real-time and performative filmmaking has found its own feet now. And in fact, the methods used in machinima are continually influencing mainstream cinema, visual effects and editing. And we see hundreds and thousands of films made using the techniques. And these are made in both, in or by both indie and professional creative teams. Now, One of the things that seems to differentiate experimental from mainstream seems to have been the commercial trail. Um, And does that still apply here with machinima? Um, I think probably not. Um, but, But I think what's interesting is that the more experimental artists 
um, of finding new ways to express themselves through the through 3D real-time rendered environments. And those pieces are increasingly being shown in contemporary art galleries, just like um, Poyan that we were just talking about. That's an art gallery piece, I would suggest. Um, and they're being shown in galleries across the world and also being sold online in virtual markets. And now maybe what we've got here is that machinima has become inverted in the commercial sense. It's a commercial model, you, which you're going to question. I know you're going to question why I say that, but I think it's become inverted. Um, and as to the experimental methodology, well, that's something that's continually being reinvented as new tool sets and pipelines are being developed. And virtually every month here on this show, we talk about something new that's come out, um, you know, that, that, that's kind of different, that can change the way that we, we kind of create stuff. And so, so maybe experimental isn't really so much about the method as about the outcome per se, which I think is really what Ricky's point was. So quite simply, that notion of what experimental is, is probably most of all about community identity and personal preference. And community, I mean, in the sense of how readily that work is accepted or situated within a body of work and personal preference in the sense of how familiar are you with what it is you're seeing, to Phil's point. Now, I go back um, and reflected a little bit on the um, experimental uh, category that we put in the 2007 European Machinima Film Festival. And, you know, at the time, we really had no other way to think about some of the pieces that were emerging. Uh, and we needed to think about how we were going to support their submission to that festival. We had something like 127 submissions to the festival. Hmm. Um, and these experimental films that we saw, they were, they were unlike nothing we'd seen before. And, and that category of experimental machinima just kind of fell out of our ruminations about how the work was um, evolving, if you like. And there were a number of pieces that were submitted into that category and that, that fitted that description. They could go into it. You know, when people submitted to us, they could put any category they liked on it, but we would recategorize it if we thought it stood a better chance in a different category. So experimental right. category was one of those that um, kind of, you know, there were a few that we put into it. It was Tom Jantel's work, um, Cirque du Machinima, if you remember that piece, Cuckoo Clock, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which won that category. Um, but it wasn't an isolated piece at all. Um, and if you remember the following year, 2008, there was this really interesting um, film uh, by a French studio calling themselves Le Riche Douanier, uh, I think it was, something like that, um, called um, Chevauchet Nocturne, The Night Ride. Um, but that category that it was awarded in was actually for um, sound design not experimental. In fact, there wasn't an experimental category in the 2008 Machinima Festival, as far as I can recall. Um, and then, of course, we, we talked at some length in our Second Life episode in February about Lainey Boom's push. Um, and there's, 
I think clearly this kind of real movement in, in that vir virtual environment, Second Life, focusing on experimental creative works and spaces. And all of the pieces that we're talking about here, all of them, were released at a time when they were quite different in terms of what they were portraying to pretty much any other type of work um, that we'd seen across um, the machinima genres generally. So I guess reflecting on the piece by Puyon that we that we've just reviewed, it's something quite different too, but it's fundamentally building on an artist statement where the game is integrated into that statement. Mm. And this is more of an accepted practice these days. Uh, and one, I guess, that feeds into and from um, game culture generally. And I guess you're more likely to see that kind of stuff somewhere like the uh, Milan um, Machinima Film Festival than right. you probably right. are on our show, necessarily, I would have thought. Um, but still, I come back to the, uh, a question, which is, um, where do we find these pieces? I think it remains a very interesting question, um, uh, and particularly so because this environment that we're looking at and reviewing monthly is kind of an increasingly crowded online environment where discoverability is one of the biggest challenges that artists um, face when they put work out and that we face when we're trying to review stuff. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so questions really um, of where it's placed, mm -hmm. how it's placed, how it is communicated are all massively challenging um, considerations, I think. Um, yeah. Beyond, I think we're looking at stuff beyond animation, film and digital art festivals in terms of what we're seeing. Um, and I would suggest, I would, I would, Try to, you know, try to encourage how we might think about how we go forward with this, really. I think what we need is an internet scale AI <laughs> that can synthesize film based works, because <laughs> most of it doesn't do that. It's just using image based, but film based works. And I can well see a time when Captain Google or maybe OpenAI will figure out a way that we can scan. <laughs> animated type works um, and bring it on because I think we definitely need to find more of these more creative works because these algorithms are just not helping us discover this kind of fascinating work. Really great points, Tracy. Really great, as usual. It's going to be hard to top that. I was just thinking about this particular film. It's made in World of Warcraft, and it's not what you'd expect a World of Warcraft video to be. No. <laughs> uh, it's normally an adventure, <clears throat> or it's a one of those in-joke kind of videos, you know, the right. game is poking fun at the game. Um, so an experimental film to me would be where you take uh, a, a platform, like World of Warcraft in this example, and do something that you don't expect to explore a theme that you isn't really related to the platform itself. Like, I mean, I guess this one is a little bit with the, the sort of the virtual kiss thing, but it's the the feelings afterwards you don't really associate with the game. I mean, you associate the interactions of cat players interacting with each other, but the way he felt about it afterwards is not what you'd expect to be explored in a mm. World of Warcraft video. Um, and he does it in a way that's not using traditional 
cinematography or camera work or filmmaking styles because like um you wouldn't normally expect a camera to actually go through the character model for example of course uh, and it not on purpose no right <laughs> yeah for the blooper reels but um he's using it to explore his own feelings because he puts the camera inside himself because he's in got these internal feelings and it kind of carries across that way which is in, in sort of traditional filmmaking that would, you wouldn't do that but then you wouldn't get the same feel if well, you, you just had the you'd camera kill the actor you'd, you'd well, yeah. kill the actor in live if you tried to go through their head <laughs> But even if you were using in World of Warcraft, <laughs> I think we just killed Phil as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you, you think it'd the... matter with some of them, though, I, I guess it would be fine, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, some of them in... you'd like to hit him in the head with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> but in this video, his character sat down as he's thinking about it. If you just had the camera pointing at him as he sat down, okay, he might look miserable. But you're not getting that. This is an internal feeling that the, yes, that camera yes. work portrays. Exactly. Um, and I think doing things like that help make something experimental. Where I don't think anything I do would be considered experimental because I have a very, I stick to very sort of traditional filmmaking styles. But I don't think I could tell this particular story the same, like anything like this, near the way this guy has mm. done. Yeah. And yeah. I think. That's what makes experimental is doing something that's different and unexpected and exploring themes that aren't normally explored. Yeah. And yeah. that's my contribution. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> Tracy covered a lot of what I was going to, um, uh, focus on as far as the, you know, when we're talking about a film being experimental, are we talking about the process that was used to make it or are we talking about the end result that the viewer watches? It's often both, I think. You know, Jackson Pollock, completely experimental process and for his time, completely experimental result, you know. So uh, John Cage, composer John Cage, uh, you know, the, the alternate tuning piano and and really bizarre, wonderfully bizarre stuff that he did uh, over time. One called, I believe it's called Two Minutes, 27 Seconds. Yeah. You, you know what I'm case. talking about. I did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I won't get into discussion on that, but, but listeners, if you're not familiar with that, Google John Cage, the silent performance, it'll make you, it'll just make your head sore. It's a, it's an amazing idea. Amazingly executed anyway. So yeah. Is it about process or the end result? And frankly, I don't, I don't know that the distinction matters because it's kind of hard to think of an experimental film that didn't have some experimental procedure to it at some point you know right yeah uh, i remember ricky telling me about uh one of stan brackage's famous works where he actually glued pieces of leaves and insect wings to the actual film you know and yeah the end result is just something bizarre to look at but that process also is what yeah. well, how do you even well, think of something like that that's, you know? that's right how do you even yeah. think of it yeah so um, I guess really that here I was the whole point I was going to focus on was that that divide. I don't think there is a divide. I think if if an experimental approach is taken to film, that's that's what you're going to get. You know, um, there are degrees, of course, but um, I do think they're worth watching. Um, I also think that just like any 
artwork that's more abstract in nature, be it music or, or visual arts, it's a harder sell with the general public. Yeah. Just is. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I think that's just the way it is. So someone who's going to go that direction, I think most established artists who, who go in an experimental direction, they know that, or they damn well should, because then your priorities become different, you know, um, maybe in some good ways, you know, it's not going to lead to most likely not going to lead to success that's measurable commercially. It's not going to lead to, you know, multi-million view counts or sponsorships or that's not the world. That's not the art world of experimental work. So you must embark on it for a very different reason. Um, often as I think this film, uh, reasons of the heart reasons that maybe are hard to, hard to talk about, uh, hard to identify, uh, in a way better than, than this medium, you know? So, uh, and yeah, the world needs that for sure. Even though the, it feels like it doesn't make, make much of a crater when it lands, you know? Um, but I still think it's very important. And I think that, okay, the crater's not as wide, but it, it's deeper, you know, mm. the people that it does touch, it's, yeah. it touches them in a deeper way. Yeah. And there's value in that, just not value that our, our world of commerce and economy really acknowledges, yeah. but it's worthwhile. Thank you. Those are all thoughtful, thoughtful responses to this. Thank you. Uh, I want to close the, the, this particular discussion with two observations. One is live, a live action film has a much harder time with abstraction and experiment, whereas animation oftentimes is, uh, you can use abstraction and experiment in much more. I mean, look at Bugs Roadrunner is an, is an experimental film. It's a strange setup. So the very form of, of animation allows for experiment in ways that are more acceptable all right off the bat. And secondly, two places where you could find experimental films, some animation, some machinima. Vimeo is the place where lots of good experimental machinima Absolutely. animation is. And also a site that isn't known very much is called uh, ubu.com, ubu.com. And it's a source of experimental animation, movies, um, music. Uh, it's an excellent source. And it's all downloadable, all free. Um, it's a good place if you want to find out more about it. And thank you been guys. around a while, hasn't it? Yes, uh huh. Hasn't it? You, I think you told me about it years ago, and I, I, I haven't, I haven't been back in a while. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check that out again. A lot of experimental music there too, Phil. You find some really unusual, very cool stuff. interviews, music, visual arts, all kinds of stuff. Of course, the other thing advantage of animation has over live action for abstract. Um, is you don't have to worry about killing your actors when you want to put the camera through them. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up our film discussion for this month. Um, I enjoyed this very much. I'm almost sad that it's over, but I look forward to our next one for sure. Yes, yes. And uh, so we'll, we will sign off for now. Uh, I, I mentioned in the last episode, I'll mention again, we love your feedback. So if you've got a thought, on one of these films that we discussed or just a thought about the show in general, we'd love to hear from you and make you part of the conversation. So you can go to completelymachinima.com and check out the talk section of our website. 
Right. Let us know whether I'm an idiot for not liking Blue Teflon Saga 4. Okay. You're an idiot. Thank you. <laughs> well, I knew that you thought that, but I want to hear it from the listeners. Okay. Absolutely. Great show, guys. Really enjoyed that. Thank, Thank you. you. Me too. Me too. Take so care, thank guys. you to Tracy, we'll Ricky, and Damien. We'll we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And and three headed. Dragon.